A poker player took a gamble way too far and now is on charges for embezzling. Marvel is reportedly going to stick to the script, more or less, by sticking to ethnicity, by charging getting a Chinese actor to play a Chinese character. Who would have thunk? And a strip club in Ohio offers up a great gift for someone looking for a good couch. We'll talk about those stories in a bit, but not quite off the bat because those were awesome stories, especially that couch story. But they're not the top stories of the week. They're not top 10 material as per you. You guys decide what stories make the script, what stories do this thing. And we're going to do this with the top 10 stories going 10 to 1 in just a moment on the wrap-up show with Jay Cleveland Payne. This is brought to you by ThisIsTheConversation.com and The Conversation Project, and it's for the weekend ending July the 20th, 2019. And welcome to the show. My name, as I said earlier, Jay Cleveland Payne, name of the show, The Wrap-Up Show, and this is a part of The Conversation Project brought to you from and by ThisIsTheConversation.com. What that website and the project does is it does what it can to make sure we, that is you and I, we are having the best conversations about the best topics and news around the world. This is truly a global phenomenon, or at least a global action podcast, if you will, where we talk about stories from pretty much anywhere we can source it from, and the sources come from pretty much anywhere. Mostly reputable, sometimes some slip in there, we admit it, but we have a source for all sorts of things and all sorts of stories, especially in a week when the Chiron was all about literally Donald Trump and one one literally one stupid tweet that caused all sorts of uproar across the nation here in the states. So when while that pretty much took over all the national news, there were other things to be talked about, other things to be bantered about, other things to honestly just be laughed about, and we're going to conversate about that here. If you're new to the podcast and not sure how we came up with the whole concept for this countdown of stories, let me explain it to you right here. All you have to do to be a part of the countdown, be a part of the mission, get your votes in, if you will, is follow us on social media. Our social media tag for Facebook and Instagram is this is the conversation, although Instagram, you can't really vote there, but you can follow along as well on in, on Twitter, that is, it is TH underscore conversation because the word is too long. What you do is you just follow us on social media and look for us in your feed. Make sure we are prominent in your feed so we can see what's happening throughout the day. And if we're on task, every 50 minutes we're posting a brand new news story from some source all over the place that you can react to literally react to it like it love it share it hate it whatever you want to do to react to it will add to its engagement and the higher engagement the stories get the higher score they get towards the end and we get a countdown in a moment 10 to 1 for the stories that were the tops we also will go over what is the very last story in the batch and some stories that didn't quite make that we'll explain that in a second but all you have to do is follow us on social media. This is a conversation on Facebook and TH underscore conversation for Twitter. And that way you get your votes in, if you will, for all the great stories coming up in a bit. And segment one, which we'll get to in mere moments, is going to do that. Count them down from 10 to 1, the top 10 stories for this week, uh, as per you, we like to say. Segment two is a segment that we do as housekeeping and a spot for the almost irrelevant story of the week. That is almost relevant because it is the lowest scoring story of the week. But it's usually because it's a later story that doesn't have time for traction. And we talk about it because sometimes it's a story that really is pretty relevant, just didn't get time for traction. And I believe that's the case for this week's almost relevant story for the week. Also, the housekeeping will get kind of wonky because we did a couple things we normally don't do. And there were some actual hands-on shenanigans that we'll have to explain. 
We explain any data issues and how the data lined up in that part of the segment. And this week, we're calling some shenanigans on ourselves. So we're going to have to explain ourselves. And the odd thing is, we're going to explain ourselves before we actually tell you what the problem is, which sometimes happens as well. Segment three is the rounding out the top 15, where we literally do that. We go 11 to 15. We don't give as much context as we do for the top 10, but we tell you stories that were just outside of the margin for the countdown, including the stories you heard in the tease. So since you understand that, that's how this thing works out. If you want to send comments or complaints or, or I guess, cash up stuff, Email us at the conversation inbox at gmail.com or find contact information at this is the conversation.com. And of course, our social media, this is the conversation on Facebook and Instagram and TH underscore conversation on the Twitter. Let's get into the countdown today, starting off Casey Kasem style 10 to 1. And this is where the shenanigans start. This one isn't as as distracting and as obvious as the one we'll talk about later on which is much made it later on, but this one, back-to-back, which really made it come out weird, is two stories more or less about the same person, but not quite. When we normally have two stories about the same person, same story, we combine the two numbers and then go with the latter story, which is normally an update to the story, and call that a super story because the, the stats are combined. That way we don't have all these multiple stories in the timeline. This week, because the story is so weird and so distinct, 10 and 9, distinctly 10 and 9, are essentially about the same guy, but not quite the same story. Starting off with story number 10, and I should have saved that in the housekeeping. I'll probably bring it back again. R. Kelly arrested on federal sex char- crimes charges, law enforcement says. That's the headline we pulled from NBC News, their website, on Friday, July the 12th. This one was an odd one, but it was something we pretty much saw coming. Here are some lines from the story from NBC News. R&B star R. Kelly was arrested in Chicago on Thursday night in a sweeping new federal sex crime prosecution, officials said. Robert Kelly, 52, was taken into custody by New York police detectives and investigators from the Department of Homeland Security, law enforcement sources said. A senior law enforcement official told NBC News that separate federal indictments were filed against Kelly in Chicago and Brooklyn. The arrest was first reported by NBC New York. Kelly was arrested when he stepped outside to walk a dog and smoke a cigarette, law enforcement officials said. Joseph Fitzpatrick, a spokesman for the U.S. Attorney's Office in Chicago, told the Associated Press that Kelly was taken into custody about 7 p.m. Thursday. He faces a 13-count indictment on the federal court in Chicago and five additional charges out of New York, according to court documents. The charges include racketeering, forced labor, and sexually exploiting children. Kelly engaged in, quote, sexual activity with girls under 18 years old, engaging in and facilitating sexual activity without disclosing a sexual transmitted disease. Kelly had contracted and producing child pornography. That's the end of the quote, according to the New York indictment. Kelly expected to appear in federal court in Chicago on Friday afternoon. You can read about all the stories we have. We have links to the stories that we're talking about here at the website. This is a conversation.com on this week's posting for the podcast. So check it out if you want to go deeper into the story, deeper into details, and then go deeper into the stories and deeper details. You probably want to do that for many of them coming up. But this is a tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme, although he didn't write that one. This was one we have saw coming. Uh, R. Kelly has been doing this thing, and I was, I was throwing the allegedly there just to 
throw it in there. Doing these things for quite some time and all these things going on and with this last batch of going on, essentially this was a time bomb waiting to happen. The fact that he's now dealing with federal charges makes this even more serious, even more scary. We often wonder, or actually we don't wonder enough about the people that we look up to that are famous for whatever reasons, the performers, the athletes, those folks like that. We don't think so much about what's going on in the background, and we let the rumors fly as we just like to have the rumors flying. When I talk to producers and reporters about writing their stories and doing their stories, the biggest thing I like to make sure I highlight is the fact that you are writing a story. It is a narrative. You're not just putting up bullet points and repeating facts. This is actual stories that must be compelling because that way people will listen to them as you tell them and want you to tell them more. This is a story that's obviously still growing, so we will dig deeper into this as it goes along. Actually, it's so much still growing. We go back to it for the number nine story this week. And the headline for that story is R. Kelly's girlfriends kicked out of Trump Tower, Chicago after singer's arrest. We pulled this from the blog, The Blast, and we pulled this one on Sunday, July the 14th. Uh, this one was, oddly enough, the highest rated Facebook story of the week. And that can tell you where things are going from there. And it gets a bump in response. That means more people responded to this story than the last story by 3.54%. The first story, by the way, we posted on Friday, July the 12th, just in case I missed that. Let's read a few lines from The Blast on what happened to R. Kelly's ladies after Mr. Aura got got busted. Again? Again. The girlfriends of R. Kelly not only lost their famous boyfriend, but they also lost their luxurious amenities after they were evicted from his residence following the federal indictment. Sources close to Jocelyn Savage and Ezra Clary tell the blast they were booted out of Trump International Hotel in Tower, Chicago, and the residence has been taken over by federal officials. The I Believe I Can Fly singer was walking his dog near Trump Tower when he was arrested, and the doors were promptly locked from the, from the girls who were forced to find temporary living arrangements. The family of Jocelyn Savage had traveled to Chicago in hopes of reuniting with their daughter, Jocelyn's father, Timothy, even confronted Kelly's publicist during a press conference. Gerald Griggs, attorney for the Savage family, tells the blast that Jocelyn's mother, Jolyn, had discovered where her daughter is staying and is currently working on keeping, quote, consistent contact, unquote, while trying to arrange a meeting. This is where I offer commentary about the weirdness of stuff like this and why we don't really know these people until apparently we know these people. The things that R. Kelly is basically accused of is essentially uh, being some sort of weird hypnotist with young ladies and drawing them into his world and having them serve him and service him. Both those words meant on purpose. And these young ladies, despite all the bad things you hear about R. Kelly, are more than willing to live with R. Kelly because he's sort of rich still even though he has no money and he's sort of famous still even though he's going to jail it's one of those things that you always wonder about the things going in there i mean i'm always fascinated by cult like features cult like things how people get drawn into people's charisma and you when you say things are obvious these are things i toss up for often when i talk about donald trump and people who are falling in line with what he's saying when when i believe i believe what he's saying is total nonsense but i'm not in that cult they don't believe they're in a cult it all gets wrapped up in there. This is a strange sub-story to a strange situation, which is why we gave it a second story and then just add it to the other one. So we'll talk more about that in the housekeeping, but essentially you get two stories, one about Mr. Ara, one about the ladies who love him.
Let's move on to headline number eight for this week. Macy Gray concerns fans, calls herself a vampire in Lorraine chat. That all happened. Tuesday, July 16th is the day that we posted it, and we got a bump in response from that story of 0.49%, just slightly up from the 9 to the 8. USA Today is the source of the story. Let's read a few lines from this one. Macy Gray's appearance on the British talk show Lorraine Tuesday raised some eyebrows with viewers. During the interview, the singer, 51, made an unusual joke when asked why she was in the hospital just a few days ago. I'm a vampire, Grace said, during before explaining further. I have a low blood count, so like every two or three years, I run out of blood. I want to just go bite people, but it's illegal. Twitter users were quick to react to her comments on the show. Quote, how can they let Macy Gray on TV in that state? One person tweeted with hashtag Lorraine. What's up with Macy Gray? She seems a bit out of it, added another on Twitter. Others thought people were being too hard on her. Some in response to that. Hashtag Macy Gray unfair. She's been ill, has low blood count. She's tired, that's all, and doing well, one person tweeted. In the comment section of Gray's latest Instagram, another person wrote, I hope you're feeling better. Love you. Gray posted to her Instagram Saturday about being in the hospital only three days prior to the interview. And you can go deeper into what's going on in what's the story about. Like I said, go to the link inside of our website, thisisconversation.com. Click on the link for this week's podcast. All the links for all the stories are there, and you can go deeper into that one. USA Today reached out to Gray's rep for comment, and they apparently did not get an actual comment other than essentially what she put up on her Instagram. Let's keep it moving. This is the headline. Four shot in northeast Atlanta. FedEx driver took three shooting victims to hospital. This posted on Tuesday, July the 16th as the number seven story. A bump in response of 5.83%. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution is the source of the story. And we're going to read a few lines from that. We still call them paper, but it's online. That paper, the report they have there. Four men were shot in northeast Atlanta on Monday afternoon, and three of them were taken to the hospital after flagging down a FedEx truck driver, authorities said. About 6 p.m., police officers were called to a home at the 1500 block of Hardy Street in Edgewood, and they were told four people were shot, Atlanta police said. Before officers arrived, three injured people got the attention of a FedEx truck driver who took them to Great Memorial Hospital, police said. Four person who had been shot in the incident was later dropped off at the hospital. Police previously had said four men had been injured in the shooting were taken to the hospital in a FedEx truck, but the police spokesperson, Tanishi Brown, told AJC.com that only three victims were in the truck. The four injured people were alert when they arrived at the hospital, Brown said. Police believe this shooting was just a result of a possible drug deal gone bad. Go to the website, click on the link for this story at thisisconversation.com. Click on the link for this week's podcast. Get more details on the four people who were identified in the story and more on the details from the actual dealing. Uh, it's a great story, for a quick story, that, that they're able to find a way to find a way out of this. The FedEx driver was able to calmly take three of the four people to the hospital and all of them apparently, at least physically, doing fine. The charges to come is a whole Another matter. Story number six this week's six year old girl dies after father accidentally hits her with golf ball. We posted this sad story on Wednesday, July the 17th. It gets a bumper response, a very slight one of 0.92%. And this is one that's going to be hard to go, go through. So bear with us. 
with source of the story is USA Today. A six-year-old girl from Oren, Utah, died after she was struck in the back of the head by a golf ball Monday. According to the Associated Press, the girl's father accidentally hit her on the base of her neck with an errant tee shot at the links at Sleepy Ridge. The girl was sitting in a golf cart about 20 feet away from where her father teed off, and a 911 call came in around 10.25 a.m., Oren Police Lieutenant Trent Coldridge told KSL. According to Coldridge, the golf cart was to her father's left. The girl was transported to a local hospital and later flown to Primary Children's Hospital in Salt Lake City, where she died Monday night, the Salt Lake Tribune reported. Stephen Murray, the head golf professional at Sleepy Ridge, told KSL he had seen people hit by golf balls at the course before, but hadn't seen a serious injury at the course before. Quote, this is absolutely unimaginable, and it's been devastating to see at the course and in the community, Marit said. It's an extremely tragic accident, Coldridge told the Salt Lake Tribune. I can't imagine what the father is going through. That's the entire, the entirety of the story on that one. We, we even get tired of thoughts and prayers as a kind of blanket statement, but our thoughts and prayers are definitely going out to the family in this incident. This is just a serious, just freak accident that no one could have ever imagined could happen. And it did happen. So we are definitely putting out hopefully as best thoughts as we can and prayers to the family as they get over this situation. We move on to the story in the number five spot this week. The headline reads, Clashes erupt as Hong Kong protests target Chinese traders. Posted on Saturday, July the 13th, this is a, it's a bump in response, a big one, 12.73% from the story in the sixth spot. Uh, this story was pulled from the AP, the AP's direct link, so we're going to read a few lines from it. Violent clashes broke out after several thousand people marched in Hong Kong against traders from mainland China in what is fast becoming a summer of unrest in the semi-autonomous territory. After issuing a warning, police on Saturday moved forward to disperse the crowd of mostly young protesters who sat peacefully demonstrating have failed to bring about change. I'm going to read that back again. Who say peacefully demonstrations, who say peaceful demonstrations, maybe third time to charm, have failed to bring about change. Police used pepper spray and batons in panicky scenes. Fleeing protesters scrambled over each other, some falling to the ground. Some had donned protective masks and helmets ahead of the confrontation. Major demonstrations in the past month against a proposal to change extradition laws that would allow Hong Kong suspects to stand trial in mainland China have reawakened other movements in the city. Thousands marched last weekend against middle-aged Midland women who sing loudly and dance somewhat provocatively in a public park. Protests have a common refrain. Hong Kong's government, led by a non-democratically elected chief executive, is not addressing the people's concerns. This is a very deep and very difficult conversation to have, a very deep and difficult story to really get into. And the politics going on in Hong Kong are extremely crazy. Because Hong Kong, semi-autonomous, uh, was, of course, once a, a, a commonwealth, a colony of Britain, which was given back to China not quite that long ago, but it's long ago that, that they've had some time to reintegrate. And because China being China is, I'll say, overstepping, they'll say just applying whatever they can, is having issues with the semi-autonomous, that's a weird thing to say, semi-autonomous uh nation land island that is that is sort of attached to china but not really not so much governed by it but they want to make sure china 
is governing them the way they want to. This is something that's going to go on for a while. There seems to be all sorts of weird civil unrest in many different places on political issues. We in the United States are obviously not immune to it, and we, of course, aren't the aren't the, the the greatest purveyors of it. We don't do it. We don't do it as well as other people do. We we tend to see lately. So we will see how this one plays out because it's a big deal that's going to affect the nations, not just China proper or any major nation out there. This is pretty much a global issue because they can't figure out how to make this work. Let's move on again. Moving on now to the four story, number four story. The headline for this one reads, A judge has banned Roger Stone from posting anything on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. And we posted this one on Tuesday, July the 16th. This gets a bumper response from the story in the five spots of 3.25%. We pulled this story, resource this story, from BuzzFeed because we can. So we'll read a few lines from them because that's what we did. A federal judge on Tuesday issued an order prohibiting Roger Stone, a longtime ally and advisor of President Donald Trump, from posting anything on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter after finding he violated her previous order limiting what he could say publicly about his case. Pointing to a series of Instagram posts and statements found from Stone referring to his case and the investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election, U.S. District Judge Amy Berman Jackson found that Stone was, quote, determined to make himself the subject of a story, unquote. Once again, the judge said she was forced to address behavior that, quote, has more to do with middle school than a court of law, unquote. An apparent nod to comments she made at a previous hearing in former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort's case. Quote, your lawyer had to twist the facts, twist the plain meaning of the order, and twist himself into a pretzel to argue these posts didn't cross the line, and in the end, it wasn't pervasive, Jackson said. Jackson said she wouldn't take the more, take the more serious steps revoking Stone's bond and putting him in jail pending trial or holding Stone in contempt, saying it wasn't a good use of the court or the government's resources. The U.S. Attorney Office in Washington, D.C. hadn't asked for that level of punishment. She made clear that Stone could still fundraise for his legal defense, but she said he was unwilling to conform with her orders. Her earlier order, which largely bars Stone from publicly taking on his case, talking on his case on any platform or forum, remains in effect. And I apologize for my very, very horrible read on that, but uh, you, you probably heard this story quite a few times as well. Roger Stone, who is a known provocateur, like that word pretty much just likes to you know poke people with sticks and that's what he does and he get made a lot of money from it got really famous from doing that and now because he is on trial for a lot of crazy things although if he waits it out it looks like he'll probably get a, get away with it um can't quite keep his mouth shut doesn't know how to keep his mouth shut maybe and so doing that and saying things just a teeny bit about the case when he was told not to talk anything about the case has become a case for Judge Amy Berman Jackson, who wants none of it. So Roger Stone, more or less silenced, not quite thrown in jail at the moment. But, and that's the really funny thing, it's not a good use of the time and resources of the U.S. government to put you in jail and throw you in contempt. But, shut up. That's what they're asking. The story listed as number three this week. Kyoto Animation Fire, at least 23 dead after suspected arson attack. Thursday, July 18th, today, this was posted bumpy response of 12.11%. This one's a very serious story. We sourced it from the BBC, so let's get to you, get to you, literally, some lines from 
this story, which got really, really weird as we got more details on it. At least 33 people died and dozens were injured after a man set fire to an animation studio in Japan's city of Koto, officials said. Police said that 41-year-old suspect broke into the Kyoto Animation Studio on Thursday morning and sprayed petrol before igniting it. Suspect has been detained and was taken to the hospital with injuries. Japan's Prime Minister Shinze Abe said the incident was, quote, too appalling for words, unquote, and offered condolences. It is one of Japan's worst mass casualty incidents since World War II. Kyoto Animation, known as Kaoani, Kaoani, produces films and graphic novels and is well regarded for by fans for the quality of its productions. So check out the link in this week's podcast uh, listing on thisisaconversation.com to get deeper into the story. It, like I said, this gets really, really weirder as you read deeper into it. Basically, a guy just broke into the place and lit the place on fire, yelling out stuff at the animation's house. I don't know if there's any really deeper connection, deeper issues in the whole story. Uh, no update in this one right here. But uh, the, the fact that these things happen and we see them here in the States, all sorts of things happen, although they tend to be with guns and not balls of fire. Uh, these things happen for whatever reasons. There are a lot of issues over there in Japan for dealing with stress and stressful situations. In fact, Japan's known very well for having an actual culture of adult men who feel they are inadequate and stressed out, killing themselves as a way to honor their families and relieve themselves as burdens. Something that we definitely aren't condoning here. So check out the link for more of the story, especially if you are a fan of the animation house and what they produce, because it's, it gets really, really interesting as you go deeper into it. Let's move on to the number two story. And this one brings Florida man in being a hero in this case. Florida man Buddy Ackerman kicks alligator, saves dog in Palm Harbor. USA Today is the source for this story. Sunday, July the 14th is the date we posted it. And it gets a bumper response, a crazy bump of 39.37%. But, oh, wait till we get to story number one. Let's read a few lines from the headline in USA Today about this Florida man doing what Florida man does, Florida man things. Palm Harbor, Florida. There's your date line. A 75-year-old Florida man says he kicked an alligator in the snout after it attacked his dog. Buddy Ackerman says the eight-foot gator came from a retention pond near his Palm Harbor condominium last week and grabbed his dog while they were out for an early morning walk. He kicked the gator until it let go of the golden retriever. Neither animal was injured. The Tampa Bay Times reported that Florida wildlife officials trapped the gator later that day. That's it. That's all. Thank you, Buddy Ackerman. Thank you. Thank you, Florida man. And the number one story this week is obviously the top Twitter story for the week, and it's by leaps and bounds. This is an amazing story. It also shows the the reach of a story that is international, yet so close to home. The story was posted on Monday, July the 15th. It gets a bump of response from the number one story of 547%. A bump of response from the number 10 story this week, which was the headline on R. Kelly being arrested. Not on R. Kelly's girlfriend being kicked out. That bump of response is 1,208%. And a bump of response from our almost relevant story this week, which is number 176. We'll talk about that number in when we get to the, when we get to the housekeeping things, why that number is so low. Number 176 is... 21,483%. Headline, 
Four Australian kids steal parents' car and run away on 600-mile road trip. CNN is our source for the story. We'll read you a little bit from the wild adventure these kids had, and it was quite a haul when this happened. Four adventurous children aged between 10 and 14 packed a stolen family car with fishing rods and took off on an epic 600-mile road trip along the Australian coast, authorities said. One of the children left a goodbye note for their parents before leaving for the mammoth journey, which ended several hours later when police tracked down the parked car along a highway in New South Wales, authorities told CNN. The kids likely shared driving responsibilities during the 930-kilometer, 578-mile road trip from Rockingham to Queensland to Grafton in New South Wales, police added, after taking a four-wheel drive Nissan patrol car belonging to one of their parents. The runaways were taken into custody at 10.40 p.m. on Sunday evening, 8.40 a.m. Eastern Time, and could now face charges. It's a pretty big journey, a long way for a person to do it, but I suppose a couple cans of Red Bull were likely to do anything, Inspector Darren Williams told CNN affiliate 9 News. Police triangulated a cell phone signal to find the vehicle, Williams said. When we got there, they wouldn't open up. They've come under notice because of legal behavior, doing doing drive-offs at a petrol station. Yeah. Missing persons appeals were made by police in Queensland after the children were reported missing. The journey made by the youngsters usually takes more than 10 hours, hugging the eastern Australian coastline and crossing through the cities of Brisbane and Gold Coast. Yes, they would not open up the door. They had to basically break into the car because the kids weren't letting anyone in there. They were so afraid of what was going on. It was, um, this was an epic story if you've ever had an epic story. And it's great to have a number one story so large. Be funny, but have a more or less happy ending. The car is recovered. The kids are all okay. They just wanted to go fishing, and they want to go fishing 900 kilometers away from their home. Uh, there you go. So congratulations for the police for solving this one in a very safe manner. Congratulations for the kids for having a very great story to tell if they live to tell past the, the punishments they're getting for this one. And congratulations for you for voting something like this in as a top story this week because that's very encouraging to what we do for the project. Now, if for some reason you don't like this story, there's something wrong with you. You definitely don't have a heart. But if there are other stories out there that you heard that were a little lower than you thought, maybe a little higher than you thought, or maybe some stories you thought we posted throughout the week that did not get the response you thought it should be, it should be top 10, obviously, you need to do more interaction with the stories we're having. And you need to be a part of the conversation in general. And that means following us on social media. Twitter, it is TH underscore conversation. On Facebook, it is this is a conversation. Also, Instagram as well. And as you see stories come up in your feed, every 15 minutes or so, we put up a new story so you can review it. If it's something that you think people need to talk about, if it's something that you are talking about, like it, love it, share it, reply to it, talk to me. I do a lot of talking to people in the comments on Twitter and on Facebook, and I get to learn a lot about you people. And some folks who I will probably never actually get a chance to see in real life have become pretty good online friends and people who actually help this thing out a lot. So thank you so much for that, and thank you for just the general liking, loving, sharing, responding to it. The more responses that a story gets, the more engagement it has, the higher it goes up in the score, and it shows up somewhere in the top ten if it's pretty good. Stories that were not quite as good, 
but just as important one coming up in the almost relevant story for this week number 176 for this week we'll talk about the story and how relevant it actually is also how the number is kind of low and some of the shenanigans we got to get the nine and the 10 story in and oddly enough the 15 story that's coming up in the housekeeping section plus the section on the almost relevant story of the week coming up as i've said three times for some reason in a moment from the rapid show with me jay cleveland Payne, brought to you by the conversation project and this is a conversation.com this is for the weekend ending july the 20th 2019 The Conversation Project is a project in a way that it takes a lot of work and effort to make it happen. And we thank you so much for your support that you give us. One match of support is through our Patreon feed. So go to patreon.com slash this is the conversation if you want to help us out that way. Also, if you want to give us some support by more natural ways, of course, listen to the podcast and listening to the ads is a great way. But checking out the sponsors we have on our website, which is this is the conversation.com and our prime sponsor this week is Warby Parker. Warby Parker does something that's amazing that doesn't seem to need to be all that amazing, but it just sort of is. They offer you great premium quality glasses for a low price with very little hassle. And in fact, it's so easy. You don't have to leave your house and deal with any actual people. You fill out your prescription, you fill out the information you want to, and you can pick up to five different frames and they will mail them to you and you can try them out for free, and then keep the ones you want for a low, low price. Warby Parker figured out how to do this because they figured out how to do this for developing countries, nations where people had issues with resources and sometimes just getting to people. If they can figure out a way to get cheap quality glasses to people out there in need, how about fairly inexpensive premium glasses to people who just want them with no hassle? They figured it out. They have it going on. Now, there's also Warby Parker stores out there. So if you go to one of those stores, you get an excellent experience for classes. But if you don't have the access to a store and you have your prescription on hand and you just want to try in a couple extra frames at a time so you don't have to go back and forth and back and forth, they will let you do that. That's what they do. Check out our website. This is the conversation.com slash Warby Parker. This is the conversation.com slash Warby Parker for an extra special deal by helping us out and going through our link. But they're going to take care of you. Trust me, they take good care of all their customers because it's what they do. Good glasses, great price, complete convenience, and it's all provided to you by a great place called Warby Parker. We kick things off the housekeeping segment in segment two. And housekeeping is going to be fairly simple because we've done most of it. But there are some some little gizmos and glitches we have to talk about. Let's talk about the number of stories this week. On a prime week, a normal week, we're averaging somewhere around 210 stories. Somewhere over 200, someone less than 220. That's what we're averaging the stories about this week. Um, if you were... a, a if you noticed, last week we did not have a conversation. Uh, uh, we did not have a podcast last week. We may not have a podcast next week due to some scheduling issues in making this thing now my more or less 
primary duty. I've got to go take care of some other things, and the Friday may get wiped out, and Saturday may get wiped out as well. However, this week in particular, there were some just various issues in just keeping up with what was going on. There was plenty, I, there was mostly plenty of news, but a lot of the news, to be honest, evolved around Donald Trump and the racist tweets he sent out last weekend and all the fallout going back and forth there. Plus, the Mueller investigation, the Mueller testimony that was planned for Wednesday, that got pushed back because they realized they needed to give the senators and the congressmen more time to grandstand. And in that thought process, they thought, well, maybe we should put together an actual plan of attack to what questions we should ask. So those are the two main things we were looking for last week, that, or main things we looked at the last week that sort of took over a lot of time over the air and over the cable news and stuff like that. So that's why there should have been more, a bigger pool of more stories to pull from. But because of consequences of other decisions, you know, things out of control, we didn't get as much posting and some of the nights propped up. And also one big thing that was personal, we had a big internet outage um, at HQ uh, trying to upgrade, which turned into a nightmare, which these things turned into. So we lost a good chunk of time in that mess. So apologies if you were looking for something for last week and looking for something for next week and looking for more this week. We intend to have the story level back up this week. We're going to see whether we can get a good schedule for time to get the actual podcast in with the regular quality. And that's enough complaining on that end. Now, very quickly, since I used up all that time complaining, the 9 and 10 story we already explained. The R. Kelly story was one, a story about him being arrested, and two, a story about his girlfriends being kicked out of their home after R. Kelly got arrested. So we didn't think those were two separate stories. We thought those, well, we didn't think there were two related stories. We thought they were two actual separate stories. So we kept them separate. We thought that looked out pretty cool there. We did have coming up in the number 15 story this week, so I can't, I'm not even going to tell you which one it is, but there was a tie virtual tie for the story in the 15 spot it wasn't the story in the 14 and 15 were tied it was 15 and 16 and we did want to do a rounding out the top 16 so we did a little finagling and we popped puffed up the story that's in the 15 spot because it was the better story and it was that was a truly editorial call i believe when i get there you will think it's a great story since i'm not going to tell you what the other story is you just have to trust me on this one there you go now, for the almost irrelevant story of the week, it's listed as number 178. It was posted early this morning as we taped this, and that's because it happened basically yesterday, or in the weird sense of time this thing works out. It basically happened on a Thursday. We posted it because of delays in how we schedule out these things on Friday morning in the early AMs. It didn't get a lot of love and attention, but because it's where it is, it gets extra love and attention. It's a very important story, actually. The headline, 9-11 responders, 20th firefighter just died from illness. CNN.com is the source for this, and as I said, it was posted on Friday, July 19th. So it could possibly make its way into the, the holes countdown next week if it survives that long. But if it was posted so early in the morning, i.e. so late in the countdown, there was no time for it to gain any traction, and it stuck right at the very bottom. Let me read you a few lines from this story because it really is very important. New York officials say 200 firefighters have now lost their lives from illness stemming from the time working at the World Trade Center after the terror attacks on September 11, 2001. Richard Driscoll, who was the 20th firefighter to succumb to an illness related to the World Trade Center, 
served the New York City Fire Department for 32 years and was cited for bravery five times during a career, according to FDNY. He retired from Engine 91 in East Harlem in 2002. In a tweet Thursday, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio paid his respects to firefighters Richard Driscoll and Kevin Nolan. Quote, they didn't hesitate to run into danger. They stayed until the work was done, he said. Nolan, the 199th firefighter to die from 9-11-related conditions, served the department from 1989 to 2007, retiring with Engine Company 79 in the Bronx. Quote, it is almost incomprehensible that after losing 343 members on September 11, we have now had 200 more FDNY members die due to World Trade Center illness, unquote, from Fire Chief Daniel Negro said in a statement. More from him. These heroes gave their lives bravely fighting to rescue and recover others. We will never forget them. You can go deeper into the story and deeper into the World Trade Center illness issue by clicking in the link for this week's podcast and clicking on the link specifically for this story in CNN. It goes deeper in detail on the two men who died this week, number 199 and 200 from World Trade Center illness in the firefighting community alone. We've almost wrapped up the week, and so it's almost time to wrap up the wrap-up show, rounding out the top 15 in the next segment. So that's coming up, and of course... Third segment, I didn't even say it early on. Third segment is for shout-outs, and we'll have shout-outs coming up in just a bit here on The Wrap-Up Show with me, Jake Levin Payne. This is for the week ending July the 20th, 2019. The Social Savvy Podcast is for budding entrepreneurs who want to understand the why of social media marketing. Social media strategist Andrea Jones of OnlineDrea.com talks about all things social media, chats with other industry professionals about what has worked for them, and teaches you how to elevate your social media strategies through practical, proven advice. And beyond the very well-written bio for the show, Andrea offers up a great show. It's a show that's very simple and does exactly what it says in what I wrote there. It gives you the whys behind how social media works for just in general and how it works for your business. Andrea has been working as a social media strategist and as a VA online coach for stuff for quite some time. And she's starting to get some prominence in the community that, that sometimes falls in love with the same personalities and overhypes people to the point to where they basically get destroyed in the process, becoming a meme to themselves. So this is a person who's growing in the community, doing her own little small thing and starting to a larger things and doing it from Canada if that makes a difference. So check out this podcast if you're looking to figure out how your social media is or is not supposed to work. She can probably help you out and maybe some extra coaching as well. It's Savvy Social Podcast brought to you by Andrea Jones, and it's the Spotlight Podcast for this week. Almost at the end of the show, which means it's right now time for the shout-outs for the week. Shout-outs going out to people who gave really, 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 really extra love inside of social media by doing things inside of Twitter and Facebook, liking, loving, responding to some things. And that's what really makes this thing go because I get to see real-time the reaction to people and the stories I'm posting, especially when it's not the red meat type stories that are getting posted a lot on 
the social media sites from the real news sites, the real news sites, if you will. Starting off with the Facebook shoutouts, Sean Aguli again, also Diami Mogain, Ruth Ann Miller in the house. Thank you so much, Ruth Ann. Give me lots of love here. She's actually local to where I am, so that's really kind of cool. Louise Sumley, De- uh, Deborah Lee Scott, George Aldohanna, Adele Carnes, my good friend Adele, uh, Barnell Black jumping in, Vicki Young, Clarence E. Springer, and Sharon Green. Let's go to the Twitter responses very quickly. Some love from Twitter coming in this week includes love from Faithful Mom. Also, Soundwaves. Thank you, Soundwaves. Florida Man Bot, which I'm sure picks up Florida Man stories. Linda Bloomfield, Honest Ralph. Thanks for being honest. Thanks for being there, Ralph. AARP Goddess, one of my usual suspects as well. Bonehead Pundit. Thank you so much. Hot and cold. And another shout out to the What is the Actual podcast. And Sheena as well, because she's wrapped up in that response. So let's wrap things up. Literally rounding out the top 15, getting over the show for the week. And starting off with story number 11. And this is one that we teased, of course. Poker player Dennis Billy Den. I'm going to butcher that a couple times. Charged with embezzling $22 million from Stow Hall. That was posted on Saturday, July 13th. So that one had a lot of run, but not quite enough run to pick up the move into the 10 spot, of course. R. Kelly's two stories took over the early spots there. Let's get you a little bit of story from that one. We pulled that one, oddly enough, from the Daily Beast. Maybe it's not so oddly enough. They have to fill up their coffers and their feed with stories as well. But the Daily Beast was the source of this story. And here's a few lines from that whole write-up. In March 2018, Los Angeles accountant named Dennis Bleeden took the poker world by storm. He had only been playing in tournaments for about 18 months and was essentially unknown. That changed well, the, that changed as Beenden, then 28, plowed through 493 entrants and bested veteran players to win the World Poker Tour's L.A. Poker Classic and its $1 million prize. The website Poker News lauded his, quote, nerves of steel, and Poker Central noted his, quote, fearless style. Beenden, bragging that he played by the seat of his pants, calling himself a, quote, crazy fish, who threw opponents off kilter. Until that point, Bleeden had only won about $20,000 playing tournament poker, but now he was someone to watch. Two months later, he was invited to play at the Super High Roller Bowl, which had a 300000 buy-in. According to federal authorities, while Bleeden was making a name for himself in the poker world, he was doing a far riskier kind of gambling, embezzling money from his day job that he used to cover his poker gambling losses. Bleedin was the vice president of finance for Style Hall, a marketing firm that represented YouTube and Instagram influencers like Zoella, Joey Garifa, don't really care, and Dulce Candy. The indictment unsealed this week in Los Angeles says that Bean counting allegedly began wiring cash from Style Hall in 2015 to his personal accounts, dumbing up accounting records and faked Western Union letters to make it look like the money was going to clients. He allegedly stole $22 million from the company between 2015 and 2019, socking some of the money into his cryptocurrency trading accounts and using some of it on personal expenses, including buy-ins for poker games, the feds allege. A forensic investigation found more than $7 million in wire transfers and checks written to other poker players, Bleeden also blew company money on online gambling sites, the Fed said. In a statement, Style Hall said it spotted certain accounting irregularities, always miss up that word, during an internal review and launched an investigation that uncovered the missing millions. 
In March, the company grilled Bielden about the alleged cookbooks, and he admitted to meddling about $15 million in 2017, according to the detention memo filed by prosecutors. The story goes deeper. The story really goes deeper, but the story is longer in the sense of there. As we said, the links to every single story we talk about is in this week's podcast link. So check out at the website, whether you are a subscriber or not, go to thisisaconversation.com, click on the link for this week's podcast, and you can see the links for all the stories and go deeper into detail. Number 12 story, Marvel reportedly committed to casting Chinese actor as Shang-Chi. Sunday, July 14th, the date this was posted on, and this is coming from a comic book dot com which sort of makes sense and this is a really really big deal in a world where comic books or essentially just studios themselves aren't really sticking up to the authenticities of the actual characters now the iron fist of course got a lot of hate from marvel studios as it debuted on netflix but it sort of still played to this to the sense of how it's going to be because the iron fist is about a caucasian man who gains the power of the iron fist and that's what the tv show is about so it's and you know people mostly hate the actor not so much the, the setup there are various cases where many different characters from comic books and from other media uh get whitewashed especially from anime a lot of hate went to the the dragon ball z stuff uh ghost in the machine things like that but the character of Shang Z, which you can go to the link inside of the the post for this week, and go deeper into what's going on. With that is a character Shang Z has a Chinese heritage, and they're looking for actors of mid twenties with that heritage to actually play the role. And because I like to blame my own speech impediments, Shang Chi uh, will be released sometime in the near future. It is slated to be a part of the Phase Four of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we may find out if it has a release date. There's no filming on it yet. Obviously, they haven't found an actor on it. We may find out as this is Comic-Con weekend in San Diego. So they're supposed to, or they're rumored to, be announcing the slate of movies for Stage 4 and their release date. So we know where things are going past Spider-Man Far From Home, which was released about a month ago. Keeping it moving on to the story in the 13th spot, ex-deputy arrested for allegedly planting drugs on drivers. CBS News gave us this one Friday, July 12th is the day we gave it to you as a link to talk about. So it got on there early in the countdown and stayed quite a bit, but not quite long enough to really make impact just sitting at 13. Here is a little bit from that story. We're sourcing that one, as we said, from CBS News. A former sheriff's deputy in Florida has been arrested after he allegedly planted drugs on drivers during traffic stops. After a nearly year-long investigation, officials said 26-year-old Zachary Western pulled drivers over for minor traffic infractions, planted drugs on them, and took them into custody, CBS Miami's reported. The former Jackson County deputy wore a body camera and doctored the footage and concealed his activity, officials said. After looking at more than 1,300 minutes of video, Investigators said they discovered evidence of Webster planning the drugs. The Florida Department of Law Enforcement, FDLE, said Webster was arrested in Crawfordsville. He faces felony charges of racketeering, fabricating evidence, possession of a controlled substance, official misconduct, and false imprisonment. The department said agents received more than 1,300 minutes of footage and logged more than 1,400 hours working the case. There is no question that Webster... Wester's crimes were deliberate and that his actions put innocent people in jail, said Chris Williams, a special agent in charge of the FDLE in Pensacola. I am proud of the hard work and dedication shown by our agents and analysis 
on the case to ensure justice is served. He also added, prosecutors were forced to drop charges in about 120 cases between 2016 and 2018, reported the Associated Press. I could comment, but we're going to just quickly move on from that one. So let's moving on to number 14. The headline is California hiker missing for four days is found alive. Daughter and investigators reveal posted from Fox news Monday, Monday, July 15th. The day we posted this one, a few lines from the story we have on hand for that one. Cheryl Powell, a California mother and hiker who vanished four days ago during a camping trip was found alive. Monday, her daughter and investigators announced. Farrell Powell wrote on her Facebook page on Monday, she's alive. This is the happiest day of our lives. We can't thank everyone enough. She included a picture of her mother surrounded by her family in the hospital in the post. Cheryl Powell, 60, had been missing since Friday afternoon, her husband Joseph told the Eno County Sheriff's Office. She was last seen near the Grandview Campground in the ancient Briscoe Cone Pine Forest area of White Mountains. He said she and their dog vanished from the Californian campground when she went to take the dog out for a bathroom break while he parked the vehicle. After searching for almost an hour, Mr. Powell alerted the law enforcement through his satellite device, according to the Inno County Sheriff's Office, who referred to Powell as an experienced hiker. The Sheriff's Office posted an update on his Facebook page Monday afternoon, writing, Missing hiker Sheriff Powell was located live by ground search team members near the Montenegro Springs area, below where her dog was located earlier today. A small dog named Molly was found alive on Monday in the area about two and a half miles from Powell's last known allocation, according to an earlier Facebook post. Powell claimed that she was chased down a hill by a man with a knife while her husband was looking for a place to park, according to her son Greg. In a post with disturbing accusations on Greg Powell's Monday, he wrote that his mother was threatened by a man wielding a knife who allegedly told her, you're going to do what I want or I'm going to take my knife to your dog, Greg said. She then ran away from the man and she thought was trying to rape her. Click on the link for this story, which I'll say all the links to all the stories are listed there as you can go deeper into this one. Now authorities are actually investigating some of the circumstances around her disappearance we're not sure where it's going there's no uh, attached update to it in the story here that i'm reading from but there are looking deeper into the circumstances of her disappearing now that she has been found safe which is the most important thing she's been found safe although the story which seems like a crazy one may not be the craziest thing to happen out in areas like this but still brings up some questions of how it actually came about and the story I know you've all been waiting for because I've been waiting to tell it. It's the number 15 story of the week. And this is a story that, yes, we did a little bit of blatant shenanigans to make sure this one was all on its own in the 15 spot and not tied for a second story because we were only doing 15 plus one. So here it is. Ohio Strip Club offers up its couches free to a good home. Busted coverage on the story Tuesday, July the 16th is the day we posted it, and it made it all the way up to the 15th spot. So you guys loved it, but didn't quite love it quite enough to make it a real story, air quotes in the real there. So we're going to go to busted coverage and give you a little bit about their write-up on what happened with this very unique gift to a quote-unquote good home. This post was written by Joe Kinsley, who begins like this. BC readers send me some very interesting items they come across on Facebook Marketplace. But this is a first. A Toledo, Ohio strip club is cleaning out its old furniture, couch dance furniture, 
and offering up price of free. That's right. Your dream to create your very own strip club in your basement is possible thanks to this very kind gesture. You might even be able to get the couch where you got your first couch dance today. This kind of deal doesn't come along very often. Go to the website. Click on the link for this. Go deeper into the story. Find out about the, this club with a 3.5 star rating on Yelp. And if you're in the Toledo area, maybe the couch of your dreams or the couch that's really, really cheap is waiting for you outside of this strip club. And because I don't really know what to say after that, I'm going to say thank you and start the process of getting us out of here. Maybe not graciously, but just getting us out of here. Thank you so much for being a part of the conversation this week of the full seven and a half day stretch of stories and being a part of the wrap up show by putting in your bids for what stories should make it and what stories aren't there. And if you didn't, how do you do that? It is extremely simple. Follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram. Look for This Is The Conversation. Make sure we are priming your feed. For Twitter, it is TH underscore conversation. And all you need to do is keep looking in your feed all day long. We will update your feed with stories about every 50 minutes from various sources, various news things. Some of them are breaking news, Chiron, stuck all day things. And some of them are very weird things like couches being donated from strip clubs and uh, you like them you don't like them you hate them you don't hate them you reply to them you don't the more you interact with the story based on however you like to do it the higher engagement it gets and of course the ones that people really dig get really big engagement those are what we're talking about mainly here for the content countdown we thank you so much for contributing and hope that you will continue to contribute in the future more information about the whole project, this is the conversations, and the whole conversation project is all listed at the site, somewhere on the site, This is theconversation.com. Stop by the website, visit our sponsors. Our prime sponsor this week is, of course, Warby Parker, but all of our sponsors help us stay involved, stay engaged, keep the lights on, if you will, for this project as well. And also check out our featured podcast this week, and it's one that you probably really need to get your social media stuff in order, because maybe you need a little help. Maybe you think you don't, but you probably do. Social Savvy Media. Savvy Social Media. Sorry about that with Andrea Jones. Check that one out as well. And just check out more functions we have at the website just in general. You wanted to interact with me? It's simple. Email us at theconversationinbox at gmail.com or email me directly at jclevenpain at gmail.com. Check out my main website, jclevenpain.net, for all the things that don't get updated enough, but are listed there as well. And importantly... Bring more people into the conversation by sharing the podcast, sharing the website, sharing the links and social media. And the best way to make sure people are listening is to just grab their phones and, and just input it to there. So just give it to some friends, enemies, random strangers, grab their phones, put it, put it in there, hand it back to them. And as they're saying, thank you, keep on moving because you've got more people to subscribe to the podcast. And you best be subscribed yourself so you don't miss out on weekly episodes of this shebang. I say thank you a lot in this thing because it's all about you guys. So thank you so much for being a part of the show. Next week, another batch of stories based on what you say is the most important. Counting them down 10 to 1 here on The Wrap-Up Show with me, Jake Cliff and Payne, brought to you by thisisaconversation.com and The Conversation Project.